Father, there's something about the love that you give us. Lord, there's something about the fact, God, that there is a reckless love, Lord, that you poured out of sons and daughters. Lord, we want to receive that right now. I want you right where you're at just to receive that love from the Father. Can you do that? Just position yourself right now to say to the Lord, Lord, I just receive. Lord, the everlasting love, the unending love. Lord, when you said to Jeremiah, you spoke to him, and you spoke to him concerning Israel, and he said, I want you to tell them that I have loved them with an everlasting love, a love that will never die. And Lord, we thank you that you have loved us with that kind of a love, Lord, that you're overtaking us. And Lord, tonight, we, Lord, we come to this gathering, Lord, just to be able to encounter you, Lord. <clears throat> in fact, Lord, tonight, I prophesy fresh encounters, fresh encounters tonight in Jesus' name. Lord, I speak the, the decree and I declare that over us in this room tonight that, Lord, there will be fresh encounters of Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, you're restoring the all back to sons and daughters. Lord, you're restoring a power and a grace back into our life, Lord. So, Father, tonight, God, we choose to lay aside the mundane and embrace the miraculous. Lord, we choose to step, Father, into the realm where your glory transforms us into who we are, Lord, where it's not a feeling, but, Lord, it becomes an encounter with you, Lord, a driving lifestyle that brings about ultimate change, Lord, a glory that when people begin to see us, Lord, something about them changes because of what you're doing in our life, God. We're asking for the kind of a glory that Paul had whenever he met you on the road to Damascus, a glory that was so great that whenever he got off that road, when he got up out of the road, Lord, Lord, he was radically changed. Lord of glory. Lord, that took him into an encounter for the rest of his days, Lord. An encounter with you, Lord, that continued to grow, Father, until the day that he saw you face to face. God, we're praying for that kind of a glory. God, we're praying for that kind of encounter. And Lord, we ask that tonight, God, that you just begin to release that. Let the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love, God, that you bring in our life, God, let that move. Lord, let that be poured out, God, in this room tonight. Radical encounters. Radical encounters with you right now, Lord. I want you to ask the Lord to give you a radical encounter with him tonight. God, give me a radical encounter, Lord. Lord, give me an encounter, God, that is so different from anything I've ever had in my life. God, we pray radical encounters, Lord, that change the complexion of who we are, Lord. We're praying, Father, for a holy DNA. Lord, we're praying for a holy DNA. God, we ask you to give that to us. Many of you have probably heard the name Bob Jones. Bob's friend of of ours when he was alive. Well, he still is a friend. He's in heaven. But Bob, Bob Jones was one of the most powerful prophets in our day. But he had an encounter. There was a time whenever he had died and he went to heaven for about 30 minutes. He was, he was clinically dead. During that encounter, he had an encounter with the Lord. And the Lord told him, the first thing he said, he said, Bob, you can't stay here. You got to go back. But whenever you go back, I want you to teach my people how to love. And, and the Lord asked him a question. He said, Bob, have you loved well? Have you loved well? And whenever the Lord asked him that question, he said, well, Lord, I, I'm doing the best I know how. But he said, I want you to go back and teach my people how to love. Whenever Bob came back, a couple of friends of mine were there, and they raised him from the dead. And, and whenever Bob came back in his body, and he, he came back too, 
And once he got out of the surgery unit, he looked at the two guys, and this is what he said. He said, I had an encounter with Jesus, and he told me that we got to teach people how to love. And he spent the rest of his days on the earth teaching people about the power of God's love. I mean, literally as a prophet, he began to impart that into the lives of people. And you know what? God used a powerful work in his life. It was so powerful that he died on Valentine's Day. Isn't that amazing? Ray Hughes called me the day he died. He said, you're not going to believe what happened today. He said, Bob died. I said, on Valentine's Day. He said, yeah. Isn't that amazing that God would do that kind of a thing, that he would give somebody such a release into the powerful love of the Lord? But God gave him a word, and then he took him out of here on the day that we celebrate love. And I'm telling you, God's doing that same thing in us. You know what I think? We're in a place um, where I think the Lord has taken us back to Revelation chapter 2 about the church in Ephesus, where he's looking at us and he's asking us, about the love walk that we have. And I think he's returning us back to our first love. So turn to your, turn your neighbor and say, embrace the love of Jesus. Well, it's good to be back with you guys in Hammond. I meant to say hi a minute ago. I just got lost. <clears throat> it's good to be back in Hammond with you guys again. We're just kind of a great time this weekend. Amen? Isn't it going to be fun? And I'm excited about what the Lord said. I'm excited about these revival meetings, these revival gatherings that you guys are having. I think it's the heart of the Lord. And I want to talk a little bit about that. I mean, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 1, and I'll be there in a little while. Actually, Mark 1, Mark 14, uh, Acts chapter 2, several scriptures I'm going to give you. But there's some things that God's really saying. And uh, I'm, really, I'm really excited about, about what uh, the Lord's doing, doing during these days. We'll be back this coming Sunday morning. I'm going to be talking about new wine and new wineskin Sunday morning. So we're going to uncork the bottle and let her flow. <laughs> Isn't that good? Y'all will get that after a while. Jesus said you put new wine in a wineskins, and I'm, I'm moving some things around hopefully to be here uh, in a real prophetic time Monday night during Monday night prayer, and we're just going to see what we can just dive into. How's that? And I really think the heart of the Lord is bringing us forward. God's done some strategic things. I was in, uh, I landed in New Orleans Wednesday night, and, and I was speaking uh, last night up in North Alabama, so I came in a day early, and I got up, at the, the people that had the room in my hotel blessed me to leave the alarm on, so at 6 o'clock the alarm went off. And so I thought, well, Lord, I guess you want me up. You know, somebody set the alarm for me at 6 in the morning, I got and began to pray. And I saw something that was very interesting whenever I was praying. I went immediately into a vision, and I saw, I saw floodgates. I was standing down river from from a, a huge river, a huge body of water, that's all I could tell. And I saw multiple, in fact, there were 12 floodgates is what I saw. Isn't that interesting? You'd see 12 floodgates. And I saw the floodgates coming up, and I saw the water beginning to pour through the floodgates. And I saw these floodgates slowly coming up. I said, Lord, what in the world am I seeing? He said, I'm releasing the flood of revival in my presence in the earth again. And he said, I brought you here to help you to understand that I'm about to pour out like I have never poured out before in these days. <clears throat> that was Thursday morning at 6 o'clock. And I've been praying for this area for a long time. And for a long season of time, I've been, I, I really have travailed more than, than anything whenever I come to this area and asking the Lord, Lord, when are you going to do what I saw you were going to do? And, and Thursday morning, this encounter that I had the Lord with the Lord was so real I mean, it really brought me into a new place of recognizing that you guys are standing in a place of, of really history in the church. And uh, I went on to my assignment in, in North Alabama. I was driving back down today. When I got just about Laurel, I just began to weep. And I, I, and I wept 
and just prayed all the way down till I got down on 12, and I, I started heading back west on 12, coming to Ammon. And during that whole time, I was just caught up in the, in the presence of the Lord. And, and, and whenever I got into that region, the Lord told me, he said, I'm about to do it again. I want you to go back, and I want you to look at the history of what I've done here in the past. But he said, I'm about to do it again. I'm about to release something that is so significant that there literally is going to be an outpouring and a revival that's going to change the complexion of the church in this region. Amen? And the Lord took me. It's kind of interesting. I I, uh, I left Coleman, Alabama last night about 10 o'clock, and the Lord spoke to me. And I know, you know, prophets, we get into all kinds of interesting things. The Lord told me, he said, I want you to spend the night in Meridian, Mississippi tonight. And I thought, I, I don't really like Meridian that well. <laughs> but the Lord told me, he said, I want you to go to Meridian. I said, why am I going to Meridian? He said, because Mariah Woodworth Edder went to Meridian, and when she was there, the power of healing was spe- was felt for a 40-mile radius around Meridian, Mississippi. So I go to Meridian, and I spend the night in Meridian last night. I had an encounter with the Lord while I was there. But the interesting thing is, is that the Lord told me, he said, I want you to be able to step into that, into the history of what I've done. And you got to think about it. For a 40-mile radius around that area, healings just began to take place. God began to do mighty things because he was pouring out over his people. And guys, I'm just telling you right now, what I think the Lord is doing is God is really preparing us for an encounter with him, and there's going to be outpouring and you begin to get up and pray and prophesy into healing tonight and I'm telling you that's far more powerful than you could ever imagine guys listen healings are about to take place at an unprecedented level in this region and you need to get ready for it I'm talking about miraculous healings while we're worshiping while the word is being spoken and taught people are going to be healed I was in Lumberton Mississippi a few weeks ago and uh, preaching and while I was there there was there was five or six one two three four five six healings that took place just while we were worshiping and while we were releasing the word and people came up at the end of the service just to talk about what God had done in their life it was radical we had a 20 year girl healed completely of scoliosis went back to the doctor they x-rayed her and it was all gone I mean she was completely healed we had we had healings it was just crazy what God was doing because the Lord was was doing that but in order to be able to step into that, I want to talk about how we be how we move into that thing of revival, how we how we learn how to embrace it, and what I believe the Lord is saying to us. And I think that we've got to come to the place in our walk with God where we begin to embrace again what they had in Mark chapter one. So if I want you, I want you to look with me, in uh, beginning in verse thirty-five, it says, "Early in the morning." No, let's back up. Yeah, and early in the morning, verse 35, while it was still dark, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place. Say he went to a lonely place. And he was praying there. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now I want you to get the idea of what's going on. The, the, the ministry of Jesus had just begun. He had just called these guys to him side. They just had an encounter with him. And it was something that was very interesting. And that is they were seeing miraculous things take place. What happened prior to this time was he had gone into a home. Evening had come, the sun had set, and after he had gone in the house, they started bringing everybody in the town to him, and he began to heal all of them. And finally, whenever they all got done, they went to bed and they were asleep. But before the sun came up the next morning, Jesus left the house, left his disciples in the house, and he went out to a lonely place to spend time with the Father. And while he was there, they woke up. And whenever they woke up, in the middle of the night, before the sun had come up, 
knowing that Jesus had gone to bed in the same home that they were in, when they woke up and saw that he was not there, they were disturbed because they wanted to be with him at all times. In fact, they got up and began to look for him. And I want you to see what Peter was saying. It says, Simon and his companions began to hunt for him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Isn't it interesting that that night had already come they had all gone to bed Jesus got up to spend time with the father and when they woke up they were terrified because the one who they had an encounter with now was out in a lonely place and so they couldn't think about being apart from him they were so driven by the relationship they were so empowered by what the Lord was doing that they wanted to be with him everywhere that he went there was a newness and a freshness there was strength about that relationship there was something about the call that they were feeling the encounter that they had had with him and when they woke up and they saw that he was gone they had to go find him they could not live without him because they understood that as long as they were in his presence there was miraculous things taking place there was something about him that was so strong so enticing there was something about him that was so powerful they didn't want to do without him do you remember what that was like do you remember the day you first met him do you remember the day when you came to the place that, that you thought, man, this is the most incredible thing I've ever encountered in my life? I mean, not only has he forgiven me, but, man, there's something about me that is different. There's a freshness. There's life about me. It's kind of like I can get up and go again. I had an encounter with him, and it was radical what happened. Something had left me, but something also had come into my life. And you see, Simon got up in the companions. They said, Lord, we got to go find him. We cannot do without him. We can't let him slip away from us because we got to walk with him. We got to be with him. We got to be where he is because where he is, something is taking place we have to be a part of. You know what's exciting? It's exciting when we realize God's doing something and we don't want to be outside of it. It's like God's doing something, we want to be a part of it. You know, it's, it's amazing when the Lord starts doing the miraculous, people are drawn to it. Multitudes came to him. It was amazing. He would start healing people, and people would come in by the thousands. Hundreds and thousands would come, and they would surround him because they wanted to be with him. There was something about him that was radically different. But what was it that drew them? It was the reckless love that he carried for them. It was something about him that sinners could come into his presence and feel totally comfortable because they understood that when they got to him, something was going to change. Sinners didn't run from him. Sinners ran to him. Religious people ran from him. Sinners didn't run from him. They ran to him. You know why? Because when they got in his presence, there was something about him that was so radically different. They looked at religious people, and they ran knowing that they would be judged. But whenever they saw him, they ran to him knowing they would be justified. There was something about who he was that brought radical change in their life. And so at the beginning of this Life At the beginning of this encounter, at the beginning of this ministry we talk about Jesus had, these disciples could not even begin to think about what it would be like to, to not have him around. They, they couldn't even think about the fact that one day he would be gone, and, and they, they couldn't even fathom that. That was not anything they wanted to encounter. In fact, there was a time whenever Jesus went to uh, his disciples and, and um, he talked to them about who he was and what he was doing and Peter made the great confession of faith and then he turned and he said it's not going to be long till I'm going to leave and I'm going to be delivered in the hands of, uh, of, of the sinners and I'm going to be crucified and all this is going to happen and Peter jumped up and said Lord that'll never happen to you as long as I live that'll never happen Lord we will never let that happen why? because he could not think about life without Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Where are you in your walk in your relationship with Jesus? 
Are you at that same place when you first met him where you can't even think about not walking with him? I got into a, I got into a debate the other day with a guy, and he thought he was going to draw me into a theological debate. And he said, what do you believe about one saved, always saved? And I said, well, you know, I don't know what you think about it, but it's good for me. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, if when I got saved, I don't want to not be saved. And he said, no, 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 I want to know what you think about one saved, always saved. I said, I'm planning on being saved the rest of my life. He said, do you believe in one saved? I always say I do for me, but I don't know about you. You can jump out when you want to, not me, man. Are you kidding me? I got saved straight out of hell. I don't know about y'all. Was anybody in here heathen before you got saved? How many of y'all really want to go to hell? Raise your hand. That's, that's a trick question. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that encounter of knowing that you have to be without him. And I told this guy I was having this debate with, I said, Look, you know, I know you try to draw me in that, that the, and I, you, you understand I ain't going there with you, okay? I'm just trying to tell you, when you got something as great as I have in the Lord Jesus Christ, you want to maintain that. You want to keep that. And I told him, I said, you jump out if you want to. That's fine. Not me, man. Are you kidding me? I'm kind of in the Mark chapter 1 stage of my walk with the Lord. If he gets up in the middle of the night, I'm going to follow him wherever he's going because I know whenever he gets there, something's going to happen. You know why those guys were chasing him? Because they knew where he was, change was taking place. They knew that wherever he went, a miracle was going to happen. They understood that a life was going to be changed. And they were kind of like me. They could not stand to live outside that realm of not having everything that that the Lord has. Now, how many of y'all want everything that God has for your life? I'm going to tell you right now, I want everything that God has for me, and I want yours too. You see, revival is about learning how to walk with the Lord. Revival and, and having encounters with the Lord, awakening, is about learning how to wake up. Say, wake up. Turn to your neighbor say, wake up. Matthew chapter 16 or Matthew chapter 14, I'm sorry, there's, there's an encounter. Jesus puts his disciples in the boat, and they start going across the sea, and a big storm came up. And so Jesus decided to go out and check on them. So he, he took out walking across the sea. They were in the boat. as being pitched around by the winds and the waves. And while Jesus was walking, he walked by them, and they saw him, and they thought, oh, my gosh, it's a ghost. What are we going to do? And finally, Jesus said, take courage. It's me. Don't worry about it, boys. I got this down. Everything's fine. And Peter said, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come to you. He said, okay, fine. Come out. And you know what? The truth was, Peter had such a desire to be where Jesus was, he got out of the boat and began to walk to the Lord Jesus. You see, he understood that wherever Jesus was, he was okay until he realized he couldn't do what the Lord had just told him he could do. Now, let me say something. Everybody say, I'm listening. You can live in revival. You can live in your walk with the Lord until your mind overtakes your spirit and tells you you can't do that. And at that moment, you begin to sink. You know why Peter sunk? Because he got his eyes off what the Lord told him he could do, and he was looking at what he could do. And guys, I'm going to tell you, as long as you live in Mark chapter 1, pursuing him in the middle of the night, pursuing him wherever he's going, walking with him, having an encounter with him, whenever you learn to step out on what he says, and you walk by faith and trust in who he is, you'll live in that place of revival. You'll live in that place of awakening. And I'm here to tell you tonight, you don't have to live on a roller coaster Christianity, being up one day and down the next. You can walk with the Lord, and you can have encounters with him. That'll radically change who you are. But you got to quit thinking about what you can't do. And you need to start thinking about what he said you can do. You see, when you think about what he said you can do, you can do whatever he said you can do. 
You know what Smith Wigglesworth said? He said, the biggest issue that I have whenever I preach is convincing Christian people to have faith. You know what? The problem is not the unbelief of the sinner. The problem is the unbelief of the Christian. That's the problem. And the reason many of us don't walk in that place of revival and awakening is because we're not walking in that place of faith in the Lord. It's kind of like we've been in church long enough that now we can understand what can't take place. Guys, listen to me. Everything can take place because all things are possible to him that believes. Okay? Now listen, you've you got to get in that place where you learn how to believe God. And I love it. You know what I mean? I, I, you know, I prophesy and carry on everywhere I go. I don't care if I'm at the barbecue place or I'm at Chili's. Or, I mean, I'm just going to get somebody. You know what I'm saying? Somebody asked me one day, says, how do you stay so excited about the Lord? Well, it's real easy. I don't ever think about not being excited about the Lord. Whenever you think about being excited about the Lord, you just stay that way, you know. And I kind of look, everybody to me is a suspect. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I look out there and I'm thinking, there's one right there. There's another one right there. You see, if I don't get one, one good miracle or healing a day, I think I'm getting ripped off. I told the Lord the other day, I said, how come I hadn't seen anybody healed today? He said, because you hadn't tried anything. I said, right. You see, there was something about the Mark chapter 1 that was radically different. There was something about the Mark, Matthew chapter 14 when Peter got out of the boat and began to walk toward the Lord Jesus. But here's what you've got to understand. As long, as long as he put his life in that encounter with the Lord and he stayed and he lived in that encounter, he could do exactly what Jesus did. And guys, listen to me. If you want to have revival and you want to walk in revival, you have to learn how to walk in obedience to what the Lord has spoken to you. Jesus said something that was so real when he said, if you really love me, you'll keep my word, you'll keep my commandments. He said, if you really love me, you'll have a passionate pursuit. But three years passed. And in Mark chapter 14, we, something that, we see something that's really interesting. In Mark chapter 14, verse 32, it says, And they came to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here until I have prayed. So three years had passed. He was at the end of his ministry. Only three years, say three years. Turn your neighbor and say three years, get it. Three years passed. He said, I want you to stay here while I prayed. And he took with him Peter, James, and John. They went a little further. He became very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them, fell to the ground, began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping and said to them, Simon, why are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for an hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Remember that. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed and into the hands of sinners arise. Let us go. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. So we're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three years after the beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus, the day whenever they could not stand to live without him, three years from the day that they got up in the middle of the night to pursue him, three years from the day that whenever he went a place, they went with him, three years later, he takes them into the garden, and in the garden, he's literally made making a trade with the Lord. He's making a trade with his father. And what happens in the garden of Gethsemane is a very powerful thing because Gethsemane was a place that Jesus traded places with us. 
It was a place that he made the decision he was going all the way. It was a place to where he went to the Father and he said, Father, if there's any other way we can get this thing done, Lord, let's get this thing done. But it's not what I choose to do, Father, it's what you choose to do. And it was at the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus made the final trading decision that he was going to go to the cross, die for us, and he would become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. But there was something at stake. He took these disciples with him to spend time with him to pray and intercede while he was making a trade for their life. He took the three with him a little further into the garden, and he said, I want you guys to pray with me. And for one hour, say one hour, he went. And in that hour, he prayed, and he, he literally poured his his, his heart out to the Father. He literally was making that trade. He was settling it once and for all, what he had to do for all of eternity. If you would, he was stepping into his destiny. It was at the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus said basically this, Father, I'm not going to let what I want to do get in the way. I don't want to die. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to do what I have to do. I don't want to be beaten. I don't want to be cut. I don't want to be nailed to that tree. But Father, if that's what it takes, I'll do it. And it was at that moment that Jesus settled the issue. However, those three men that were standing with him an hour later he came back and they were sound asleep. What happened? Three years prior to that time they couldn't sleep because they didn't want to do without him and now they couldn't stay awake in his presence. What happened? Second time he walked away. They fell asleep again. He came back and he looked at them and he said, guys, you're going to have to wake up. The reason we need awakening in the church of America is we are sound asleep at the wheel. We need revival in America because many of us are not in Mark chapter 1. We're in Mark chapter 14. Jesus is over there making a trade for us. Jesus is over there doing work on our behalf. Jesus today, ladies and gentlemen, is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. If you got this idea that Jesus died and went to heaven and sat down and didn't do, do anything, you haven't read your Bible lately. Because the scripture says he's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And every time we call on his name, he looks at the Father and says, Father, let me talk to you about Marvin. Let me talk to you about Angela. Let me talk to you about Tim. Let me talk to you about John. Lord, let me talk to you about Richard. God, there's something about them. I hear them calling my name. Let me talk to you about what's taking place. Guys, listen to me. Many of us are sound asleep and Jesus is at work on our behalf. And I want to tell you, if you want real revival and awakening, you got to be willing to pay the price. You got to be willing to stand up. And you got to be willing to live in Mark chapter 1 and say, Lord, if you get up and leave this house, I'm right behind you. Lord, you can't get away from me. I was watching my grandson. I have a two year old grandson. And uh, I was watching him the other day. His daddy, we were at their house, and his dad got up, and he was right beside him. Everywhere he went, here come here is Anders. He's running around right beside his daddy. He went outside. Andrew went outside. Aaron's, Anders went outside. Whenever Andrew went around the yard, Anders was with him. And I stood there and I watched it. Andrew came back in and I said, "Man, you, you got a you got a buddy there with you." He said, "Dad, when I come home, he's glued to my side. Every step I take, he's right there with me. I cannot shake him. I cannot get him away from me. Everywhere I am, it, he goes." And I said, "That that's good." 
And I walked out of that encounter, and I, I got to thinking about that, and I thought, God, what would it be like if we were just like that two-year-old little boy that could not stand to be outside of his daddy's presence? What would it be like if we were so excited about what the Lord did that we literally were living in tiptoe anticipation that he's doing something radical? Guys, listen to me. If you want revival, if you want to walk in awakening, if you want to walk in the things of the Lord, you've got to be willing to live in Mark chapter 1, not Mark chapter 14. Because when you go to sleep at what's going on, you're going to miss what the Lord is doing. There was a lot that these guys missed because they were asleep. Three times he caught them sound asleep. Now, here was the paradoxical thing about it all. He wasn't out there doing something for somebody else. He was doing something for them. In that three hours that he was interceding in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was making appeal for them, and they were sound asleep. And we've got to ask ourselves the question, Lord, what is it going to take for us to wake up again? Lord, what is it going to take for us to step into that destiny and that purpose and understand, God, you're calling us to a greater place than we really are. Guys, listen to me. There comes a time that you've got to move out of the soul realm and out of the flesh realm into the realm of the spirit. Everybody say, I'm listening. Walking with the Lord is not about an emotion. It's about a covenant relationship where you make a decision that you're going to walk with him come hell or high water, come hot or cold, come, come trial or not. It is a commitment and a decision, and it's a covenant relationship. You understand what I'm saying? Most Christian people want to walk with the Lord as long as they got a warm, fuzzy feeling. What happens when your warm, fuzzy wears out? What happens whenever your glory trip begins to fade? What happens whenever you get out there out of the sweet by and by and the nasty now and now and things not working out quite right? Are you going to bail on God because you don't like it? Or are you going to be like Jesus and those disciples in Mark chapter 1 where they say, Lord, you, you don't understand. You're not leaving us behind. We're going to go where you are. Why, why did they want to walk with him? Why did they want to see him? It's because... When they walked with him, they saw blind eyes open. They saw deaf people begin to hear. They saw lame people walk. They, they began to encounter and experience lepers being cleansed. I mean, they, took, they saw people who had never walked a day in their life. Jesus would speak to them, and he'd take them by the hand, and they'd begin to walk. They saw him doing stuff. Say, say they saw the stuff. Come on, everybody. They saw the stuff. Let me tell you why we're not having revival in, in a lot of churches in America today. Because nobody's seeing the stuff. Guys, it's time to see the stuff. But I'm going to tell you what, if we're going to see the stuff, we're going to have folks that do the stuff. Come on now, turn your neighbor and say, that's right. You see, there had, to be, there had to be an encounter. But what happened? Listen, what happened? What happened between Mark 1 and Mark 14? They became so familiar with him. Well, he'll always be here. He's never going to leave. They got so familiar with everything that was going on, they kind of settled down in, in, into, into just life in general. And they began to lose the passion. And whenever they got to the Garden of Gethsemane, when he began to make a trade for their sorry tales, <laughs> that's exactly right. When he began to make a trade for them, they fell asleep because there was something about him that had gotten so familiar. You see, they lost the edge. They lost the power of the presence. They lost the awe. 
You see, there was something about their lives that they got into the mundane. Guys, let me tell you, it, it's easy to get so busy doing life that you forget about the things God has done. You see, the truth is, there, there are times when you can forget his miracles. There's times that you can forget his, his works. You can, you can forget what God's done. I, I've never seen a time in the church where somebody can get saved and nobody cares anymore. Well, so-and-so gave their life to Jesus. Oh, that's wonderful. I hope they make it. Really? Is that what we got to say? Well, I hope they make it, right? Are you kidding me? This isn't about I hope they make it. This is about, hey, this guy had an encounter. Let's get somebody connected to him. Let's get a two-by-two thing going on, and let's disciple this person, and let's keep them moving along in the kingdom. When are we going to understand that God is really into community these days? You know what he wants? He wants people who will walk together in common unity and have an encounter with the Lord, but never forget what he's done. But something happened. They lost the glow. They lost the fire. They got so busy doing life. Can I just tell you, even in ministry, it's easy to lose the edge. It's e- Listen, I, I just celebrated my 43rd year in ministry. Now, I, don't, I know I don't look that old. Yeah. I just celebrated my 43rd year in ministry. I started when I was 15 years old. And I'll tell you something, even in ministry, even pastoring churches, even traveling around the world, I speak four to five times every week somewhere. It's easy to lose the edge. And so I have to understand that I cannot live by a soul realm. I cannot live by emotions. I cannot live by what I feel or what I think. Somewhere down the line, I've got to remember that spirit-to-spirit commitment, that covenant relationship that I made with him. And I said, Lord, it doesn't matter what I feel like. It doesn't matter what I think. Lord, I'm not going to let anything get in the way of the destiny and the purpose that you have created for my life. Lord, I choose to walk with you no matter what. God, I'm going to live in Mark chapter 1. If i got to get up in the middle of the night to find out where you're at. I'm going for it, Lord. I'm not going to allow my spirit to go to sleep in Gethsemane like those guys did. I'm learning a lesson from them because, Lord, if you're making a trade for my life and you're doing something for me, God, I don't want to forget it. I don't want to minimize it. I don't want to get to the place that I make light of what he's done. Let me ask you something. Has the last move of God in your life begun to fade? You see, many of us have lost our edge. I I remember whenever I I got baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1982. I was in my dorm room. I was a good Baptist at that time, going to a Baptist college. I asked the Lord. I I was studying the book of Acts. I'd I'd done written a paper on the Wesleyans and, and been studying revival. And I remember in my dorm room in March of 1982, I was on my face for God. About 10 o'clock at night, I started praying. I said, God, I'm reading my Bible and I'm exasperated because I'm not walking in what I'm reading about. Lord, either give me what they had or kill me one of the two. Let them find me dead in this room in the morning, God. But I choose not to live one more day of my life outside the realm of the power of your Holy Spirit. Whatever they had, I can have it. If I read about it in the Bible and George Whitfield and John Wesley and Mariah Wilder and John Lane, if they had all that stuff, God, I want what they got. And somewhere between 10 o'clock at night and 2 o'clock in the morning, I had an encounter with the Lord. And when I came to myself at 2 o'clock in the morning, I was rolling around in my dorm room speaking in tongues, and I didn't even believe in it. Talk about change your theology. I went from Baptist to Pentecostal overnight. Really, I did. I really did. 
And I'm thinking, my God, what am I going to do? But when I walked out of my dorm room the next day, people looked at me and said, what happened to you last night? I said, boy, I wish I could tell you. All I know is Shundai hit me somewhere right there. Shundai hit me. Well, what is Shundai? I don't know. It's this sound I heard last night. Where did you hear it? I said, out of my mouth. My, my roommate said, dude, what happened to you? You're worse than drunk. I said, yep, sure am. Something happened. I couldn't help it. All I knew that there was a passion and a fire in me that could never be put out. And I'm going to tell you what, since 1982, there's been several times that I've gone back to Mark chapter 1 and said, God, somehow I left it. I've got to get back there. I've got to get back to there. And so what's my hope? Acts 2.43. Acts 2.43 is my hope. You know what Acts 2.43 says? And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. You know what? The church has lost the awe of the Lord. You see, we're not impressed anymore with what God can do. Let me ask you this. What has God got to do to get your attention? And what has God got to do to impress you again? You see, in the church in America, we've lost our awe of the Lord. It said, and everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. You see, when the Holy Spirit came and was released upon the church in, in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, there was an awe of the Lord that was released. 3,000 people were saved in one day. Signs, wonders, and miracles began to take place. People were being radically healed. And the Bible says everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and great signs and wonders were taking place through the hands of the apostles. And it's interesting to me that when the awe of the Lord came, that there was a release of the supernatural events of heaven. And what Jesus did now was put upon the lives of those disciples. And what he did, they began to do. And those apostles were leading the way and imparting into the lives of the people the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of what God was doing. And those apostles were walking and they lived in a place of awe. You see, Acts 2.43 gives me hope of coming out of Gethsemane. I can be in Mark chapter 1 and I can be chasing me in the middle of the night. I can get to a Gethsemane where I cannot even stay awake but yet there is a day that comes where 243 says the power of the Holy Spirit brings it all back in and you know what we need? We need an Acts 243 moment where we get the all back where we stand at that place where the all the Lord begins to consume who we are. Let me ask you a question that I asked just a moment ago what has God got to do to impress you again? I'm going to tell you why we don't win people to Jesus. God doesn't impress us. I'll tell you why we don't do signs, wonders, and miracles. God doesn't impress us. Making money impresses us. Getting an education impresses us. Buying new, new things impresses us. You see, we get so impressed with everything in this world that we, we no longer impress with the things of God. Somebody can get saved and it's, yeah, well, whatever, I hope they make it. That's really the intent of many people in the church. Or yet, when someone gets healed, we stand back and we say, well, why didn't God do it for me? And we live in such a narcissistic society within the church that we're, we're consumed with what God can do for us. And if he doesn't do it for me, then he doesn't love me as much as he loves that other person. Well, why not rejoice in what God is doing in them so he can do it in me too why can't we get on fire for what God is doing and in the same moment begin to receive what God is doing in life guys if we're going to have revival we have to position ourselves to be sons and daughters to walk it out you know what set Paul apart he didn't let what he encountered keep him 
from doing what he was called to do. He was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was left for dead. He didn't let all that stuff bother him. He just got up, dusted himself off, says, hey, let's go to the next town. Somebody over there needs to have an encounter. He gets down in a jail in Philippi. And him and Silas says, well, I guess we're going to die tomorrow. Well, let's just go ahead and worship for a little while. If we're going to die, we're going to go out in a blaze of glory. And you know what? They're down in a Philippian jail about midnight, and they start praying and worshiping and singing hymns of praise to God. And they were just celebrating God. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord came down and began to set them free. Those guys were different. You know why they were different? Because they had an encounter with the Lord that came out of Pentecost that put an awe inside of them that they never got over. Let me just ask you, have you got over the last encounter that the Lord did in your life? Have you got over that last miracle that he did in your life? Have you got over that last time whenever you were set ablaze with the glory of the Lord? You see, the truth is we've got to get to the place that we say, God, I need to be back at Mark chapter 1 again. And so recently I was spending some time with the Lord, and the Lord spoke to me, and he asked me this question. He said, are you more on fire than the first day you met me? Are you more on fire now than the first day that you met me? And I revisited the day I got saved. I remember the day I asked Jesus to come into my life. I remember that day whenever I had that encounter with him, it changed my life. I remember that day I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, and it, was, it was a while. I mean, I, it was about, you know, about a 12-year period of time. I, I was never taught about the Holy Spirit. I was never taught about that. I was just told you got it all when you got saved. And then God snuck up on me and blew me away. So I began to revisit those encounters. And all of a sudden, I found myself at a place where I began to cry out to the Lord, God, take me back to where I once was. You see, the truth is, we can get so busy working for God, we no longer work with God. We can get so busy doing the work of the ministry. We can get so busy doing life. We can get so busy raising a family. We can get so busy getting an education. We can get so busy operating in our careers. We can get so busy with this thing called life that we then begin to just forget about what that walk with God is about. And guys, listen to me. We need to quit trying to do outreaches and start reaching out. Got it? See, Reaching out is about having a life that is so different. When you go to eat in a restaurant or you go to the store or you go to work, people look at you and say, there's something about you that's different. When I walked out of that dorm room in 1982, my friends looked at me and said, what in the world happened? Here's what was so funny. I was preaching revival in a little old Baptist church down in East Texas, and, and I mean, it's dead or in hammer. There wasn't anything going on, you know. And uh, I, re I remember when I had this encounter with the Lord, it was on a Tuesday night. Isn't it crazy? You know the day. It's in March, Tuesday night in March, 1982. And I remember when I, when I went back, I had this encounter. I go back to preach at that church. I went to school that day into my classes, went to that church that night to speak. When I got up and I started preaching, I mean the power of God fell like I had never seen him. I preached like my britches were on fire. I mean, I was like, God, I'm consumed. I mean, while I'm preaching, people are getting up, coming, falling down at the front, squalling and bawling. Three deacons got saved. The pastor's wife got saved. You see, in the church I grew up in, you either got saved or rededicated your life. You know what I'm saying? So we were where I rededicated her out. And I mean, 
People were coming rededicating us, squalling and bawling. I mean, people crawling over the pews. And I'm standing up there trying to preach. I'm kind of like, would y'all just settle down until I get this out? You know what I'm saying? And people were coming. I mean, and they were flooding the place. And the guy that was with me who was leading worship, Mitch Manning, was a personal friend of mine. He was looking at me like, what in the world happened to you, man? It was huge. That little bitty old Baptist church in East Texas was set on fire. And I didn't have a clue what was going on. I just knew I was consumed by something greater than myself. Six or eight years later, I get a phone call. We left school, went on our way, got married. Mitch got married. He calls me. I meet him in McKinney, Texas. We're, ha we're having, we're having uh, dinner one night. I mean, his wife are there. And uh, so we go into this restaurant and we sit down. He looks at me. He said, why didn't you tell me what happened to you that night? I said, what night are you talking about? He said, you know, that night we were down there at the little bitty church in East Texas. I said, yeah. He said, why didn't you tell me what happened to you? And I looked at him and I said, I didn't know how. I wish I could have told you what happened to me. All I knew is something got a hold of me I'd never had before from the Lord. And he said, well, I just want you to know there was something about you that was radically different that night. And he said, I just want to tell you I got baptized too. And I started laughing at him. I said, Shunda. He said, Shunda la baha sata. He looked at me and he said, you didn't tell me what happened, but he said, I remember. And he said, I set up this dinner meeting tonight to tell you, you had better not ever be silent about what God did in your life. Let me tell you something. Do you really want revival to hit this area? Or better than that, what are you going to do when it does? You see, I'm finding out that most of us aren't ready. When God starts an outpouring, we're not ready for it. We get as surprised by it as the next guy. You know what I'm saying? But when we get in that place of revival, when we get in that place of, 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 of outpouring, the question is, is what are we going to do with what God's doing? I got a call from a guy this week in Odessa, Texas, who was in the outpouring in Toronto with Randy Clark and John Arnott and all those guys. And he was telling me about what happened. And he said, you know, I just got this feeling something like this is going gonna, is gonna to happen again really soon. I'm going to speak out there next weekend. And he, and he said to me over the phone, he said, Ron, I don't know what's going to happen, but I feel a stirring in my spirit like I felt when I was in Toronto. And I'm not saying that it's going to happen here, but I'm praying that it does. He said, I have been in this place for 40 years praying and believing God for something greater than I am. And he said, I just want to ask you one question. I said, what is it? He said, what are you going to do when it happens? And whenever I hung up the phone, I got to thinking about that. And I want to ask you the same thing. What are you going to do when the outpouring comes? What are you going to do when the floodgates come open all the way? What are you going to do when this river out of heaven starts running down here on the earth? What are you going to do when that encounter with God overtakes you? What are you going to do when the day like Pentecost happens again? What are you going to do when you get to the place that you begin to see God do something? Are you going to be in the Mark chapter 1 and begin to follow Jesus wherever he goes? Or are you going to be in the Mark chapter 14, sound asleep while it's going on, not even aware of what's taking place? Let me ask you another question. Has there ever been a day in your life that you were more on fire for God than you are right now? You say, well, I don't feel it. That's the problem. 
Well, I don't have those experiences anymore. That's the problem. How do I get back to where I need to be? Acts 2.43. I'll tell you how you get back. You get back to that place where you renew that covenant relationship with the Lord and you say, God, whatever I lost, I want it back, but this time I want more than I had before. Lord, I'm not asking you for the same measure that I had. God, I'm asking you for more. Well, where is that in the Bible? It's John 14, 12. When Jesus said, the works that I do, you'll do, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go to the Father. You know what that is about? That's walking in the greater. That's not walking in what you had. That's walking in what you can have. It's talking about the inheritance, about what's coming. And guys, I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm 58 years old. I've been in ministry for 43 years. I've been saved now for 50 years. And I'm telling you right now, it gets bigger, better, and greater. As long as you walk with the Lord, there is no limit to what you can see God do. I'm telling you right now, God's going to do some radical things that's not only going to blow your mind, but it's going to release upon you a power that is greater than anything that you could ever imagine. When, when were we in, in Crestview? Was that two weeks ago? Were y'all there that Sunday morning? Or did y'all come? Okay, let me tell you what happened on Sunday morning. We, we were, in, we were in, at the summit in Crestview. Jason Townsend got up and preached. It was the strangest thing I ever saw. He gets up to speak, and he stands up whenever he, he said, I'm going I'm to talk today uh, to you about rededicating your life. So if you want to rededicate your life to the Lord, get up and come on right now. And I'm thinking, boy, that is the strangest thing I ever heard. He hadn't said a, a word. And he's looking at these people, and he's saying, if you want to rededicate your life to the Lord, and he just stood there and looked. Finally, about 40 or 50 people ends up coming to the front. And they weren't responding to what he was preaching to them. They were responding to a call that he made to them. And basically all he was doing was challenging them to come out of where they were to where they ought to be. How many of y'all are where you ought to be in the Lord tonight? He just looked at them and said, look, if you're not where you need to be with the Lord, I'm asking you to get up out of your seat and come and stand down here and get to where you need to be in the Lord. And I mean, it was, cra it was crazy. I'm kind of like, well, this dude's not even preaching. And yet the Spirit of God started moving, and people did not respond to a, a, a preacher, a teacher, a worship leader. They did not respond to anything except the fact that they knew, if, I need to, if I'm not where I need to be in the Lord, I need to get there. And so they were headed there. A young lady come up from Valley, Alabama, over by Auburn. She was in her early 20s, had a radical encounter with the Lord. And somewhere during this encounter, Jason had just made mention, he said, we believe God is restoring his power to the church in so much that you might even be able to raise the dead through the telephone. We got done with the service. Three o'clock that afternoon, she gets a phone call. Her uncle Tom, back in Valley, Alabama, was on life support. He was brain dead. And the family called her to tell her, we're fixing to pull the plug, and Uncle Tom is going to die. And so before we pull the plug, we want to let you know that this is happening. Because she had been with him just a few days prior to this time. And she said, put the phone to his ear. And they said, do what? They, she said, put the phone to his ear. I want to talk to him. So they put the phone to Uncle Tom's ear, and she said, Uncle Tom, I'm telling you right now that the power of Jesus Christ can raise you from the dead. 
And I say in the name of Jesus' death, you leave my Uncle Tom, and I decree life in Jesus' name. Uncle Tom, I command you to come alive in the name of Jesus. They pulled the plug on the machine, and he sat straight up in the bed and started talking to them. That really happened. How big a faith do you have? How big a faith do you have? I mean, you know, the thing about it is we think, well, that can never happen. He just did. A young lady in her 20s took a challenge by some preacher that was talking to him about rededicating their life. And that afternoon, her uncle, who was dead, who was on life support, came back to life and was raised from the dead because she took a step of faith. She had a challenge before her, and she met the challenge with the power inside her life. There was a fuel. There was a fire. There was a strength. There was a power. There was an encounter in her that brought radical change. So I'm going to ask you the question, if you were presented with an opportunity could you rise to meet that opportunity with the power and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and are you are where you need to be in the Lord when that comes you're ready to step into it and a lot of people say well what do you got to do I, I, you got to understand she rededicated her life at about 1 o'clock and at 3 o'clock she was raising the dead it took about 2 hours See, we got this idea we got to work it up. You don't have to work anything up. You just got to let it fall down around your ears and learn how to walk in it. You got to learn how to let that power of God come. You got to be willing to step into it and say, Lord, I don't understand this, but I know when I speak to this waitress at Chili's or I'm down there at, at, at one of the at Don's or wherever else or wherever you go eat in this place, Tope La or whatever it is, Lord, I'm just going to, I'm going to, God, I'm going to step into this deal. How many of you guys are ready? Mark chapter 1, they were ready. Mark chapter 14, they were not. And the difference was, Mark 1, they were awakened. Mark 14, they were asleep. Why do we need awakening? Because we're asleep. Jesus is making the trades of heaven and we're not even aware of it. They didn't even know what was going on. Guys, I'm going to tell you something right now. You walk by more opportunities to win the lost to Christ, to heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons. You walk by more opportunities than you could ever imagine. The question is, are you going to step into it? Now listen to me. Revival is not a movement. It's a culture and a lifestyle. Got it? It's not, about, it's not about having four meetings a weekend. No, 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 no. It's about changing life. Bill Johnson one time was asked a question by a guy. He said, I want to go on your mall outreach. He said, we don't have mall outreach. He said, yeah, you do. You have people in your church that go down and do outreaches in the mall. He said, no, we don't. We don't have mall outreaches. Sir, I beg to differ with you. There are people from your church that go to the mall, and they're out there singing and carrying on and praying for people. He said, that's right. Well, I want to go on one of those mall outreaches. He said, sir, we don't have mall outreaches. We have people who go shopping, and while they're shopping, they reach out to the people in the mall. He said, the difference is we train our people how to be ready to step into the miraculous when it comes and it's presented to them. Now, let me ask you a question. When the Lord presents it to you, are you ready to step into it? When the opportunity arises, are you ready to step in? I was, I was in, 
Richmond, Kentucky, teaching a little bit about this same thing in a different light. While I was there, we, we went to Sonny's Barbecue to eat ribs. There were about six or eight of us there at the table. The waitress came up, and I just kind of looked at her a minute, and I was getting this download from heaven, and the guys looked at me and said, does that thing you're talking about work out here? I said, yeah, what's this? I started ministering to that waitress. In about five minutes, she was just bawling, squalling, prayed for her. Lord told me, he said, you give her a $50 bill and tell her this is her year of Jubilee. So I did. I, I mean, you ever give a waitress a tip for a meal you didn't pay for? I handed her the money, told her about Jubilee, talked to her about her mom and her grandmother and her life. I prayed for her. God wiped her out. You see, you got to step into that opportunity. One of the guys at that table said, man, I didn't know it worked that way on the way home. Stops at Longhorn to eat a steak. Got a hold of the waiter there. Just totally wiped the waiter out of Longhorn. He texted me later. said, man, that works as well in Longhorn as it does Sonny's Barbecue. I said, yes, it does. When you live in revival, you're looking for opportunities to give life. You know what made Mark 1 so real? They never lost the relationship and the awe of the one who gave life to them. Let me ask you a question. Where are you? Where am I? Somewhere between Laurel, Mississippi and Hammond, Louisiana, something happened to me today. Somewhere coming down the interstate, the Lord reminded me, Ron, it's not about you. It's about what I want to do. And I'm going to tell you something right now. You, you need to get ready because there is an out, outpouring moving in this area right now that if you choose to step into it, you'll begin to see things that you have never seen before. You don't have time to get ready anymore. It's here. And I'm telling you right now, we got to step into that place. We're at Mark chapter 1. Let's pray. Let me ask you again. Has there ever been a time in your life that you were closer to him than you are right now? Has there ever been a time in your life when you were more on fire than you are right now? Has there ever been a time in your life where you live by the power of the awe of the Lord more than you live right now? I won't tell you what these things are about. These gatherings and these meetings that you're starting tonight is about addressing a move of God and encounter with God in this region. It's about learning how to step into a place with the Lord where you've never been before. And, I, and we're going to do something tonight. There's something stirring inside my spirit that I can't explain. I'm kind of one of those guys when the Holy Spirit starts working in my life, He comes out my eyes. And I've wept this afternoon. 
because there's been something so radically different taking place. And whenever I was driving in, I, I sensed the Lord say, they're not ready for what I'm about to do. Tell them to get ready because I'm not going to hold up anymore. I'm not going to delay and I'm not going to postpone anything. I'm moving. And tell my people I need them to be where I need them to be. And I'm telling you right now, guys, I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. I know life gets tough. Life's been hard. I've lived as a nomad for the last 15 months of my life, following hard after whatever God has because I know God's up to something. And right now in this room, I think many of you are right where I am. God, I don't want to be asleep anymore. Lord, if i got to get up in the middle of the night and chase you, I'll do whatever i got to do. Three o'clock in the morning, I don't care. Do you realize it was four o'clock in the morning when Peter got out of the boat? It wasn't daylight. It wasn't two o'clock in the afternoon. Four o'clock in the morning. It was dark. It was a storm. He couldn't see. But Jesus gave him a word in the middle of the night. And he stepped out of that boat in a storm because there was a voice that was so real. It's a voice that he heard before. He recognized the voice when the voice said, get out of the boat and come here. And in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm, when he couldn't see, he got out of a boat because the Lord spoke to him. Are you ready for him to speak to you again? Are you ready to get out of the boat in the middle of the night? You know, I think that whenever he got out of the boat, he was thinking, I remember whenever I got up at four in the morning and I went and found him. You can walk with God in the middle of your storm, guys. You can walk in the darkest night of your soul. You can still pursue Him. I don't care how dark it is. I don't care how big the storm is. When you hear Him say, come, you got to go. You cannot afford to be asleep anymore. If you want an awakening in your life, you want to step back into that place of wholehearted covenant relationship. If you're here tonight and you say, you know what, Lord, I'm not where I need to be, but I'm getting there tonight. If that's you, let's, I want everybody to just stand up. If that's you, I want you to leave your seat and come stand here with me.